It's almost like if it just snows a little bit, it's almost offensive. It, it really is. It's like, why are you even bothering? Yeah, like, you could just look up at the clouds and like, what's your deal? Like, you really brought this weak-ass bullshit here? Come on. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Never fear change. Life is too short for fear. Chase what is desired. I can do this all day. Would you mind identifying what you are? We're the best friend squad. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Welcome to the rodeo. Ladies and gentlemen, please sit back, relax, and enjoy the ride. This is the way. I have spoken. Welcome to the Skiffy and Fanty Show at the movies. Because not every movie needs to be white Christmas. <laughs> Yay, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> See what I did there? Wow. <laughs> Real stinger with that one, Jen. Thanks! Jesus. I'm Sean. I'm Jen. And we're here to talk about a very special holiday movie, Jingle Jangle. Yay! Which Jen is very excited about and is almost entirely the reason we are watching this because Jen said to me, Oh my god, please, let's... And then uh, that was the voicemail I received and so I had to relent. Yes, obviously. Also, it is in very keeping with our mantra, mantra, our task, our our manifesto, manifesto this year <laughs> of only covering mostly, mostly, mostly by black creators, and this pretty much takes the cake on that. Yeah, it is definitely. A film of black excellence, and it is amazing. So it it is an a very very black production. It would be fair to say from almost every level, including John Legend, who helped write one of the songs on this piece. I believe it's just one. I don't know if it's just one. Uh, he's also the producer, so that had something to do with John Legend as well. Well, I mean, if he's producing, he's definitely making also a song. So. I mean, do you say no to John Legend at that point? No, you never, never, ever, ever say no to John Legend about anything. No, okay, let's, no, 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 no. You can say no to him on some things, but maybe on him making a song in a movie he's producing, (laughs) you don't say no to that. (laughs) No, you definitely, you don't say no to that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But yeah, so this is a film uh, directed and written by David E. Talbert. Black writer. Black director. It also, I believe, had a black choreographer and a black cinematographer. It is a black production. And the cast, furthermore, is primarily black, not entirely, primarily. Uh, and all the main roles are black actors. So Forrest Whitaker, Keegan Michael Key, Anika Noni Rose, who some people might know as Tiana from The Princess and the Frog, just saying. Madeline Mills is a new introduction to acting, and she plays the delightful character of Journey, who is amazing and a force to be reckoned with, I think we can say after this, because her singing voice was amazing. And more. Like, so many more. Like, it's just an amazing cast. Yeah, and it's pretty packed with some, some pretty interesting talent, including a surprise appearance that I was completely surprised by Ricky Martin. 
I honestly, so when he showed up, I will say Ricky Martin's character, I, I just wanted more of. Uh, for, when he showed up, I immediately went, is that Antonio Banderas? Because it sounded a lot <laughs> like him. And I was like, really? That's kind of neat. And then my brother looked it up and was like, that's Ricky Martin. And I was like, no, no, Ricky Martin's not a voice actor. And apparently Ricky Martin is a voice actor as well as a singer. And he's shockingly very good and should be in more things for sure. It was a delightful turn, and then I just want to point out that uh, the most beautiful woman that has ever existed was also in this movie, and that is Felicia Rashad. Thank you for that gift, producers of Jingle Jingle. Well, okay, we need to get into this actual movie proper, because uh, we're just like listing off lots of things that we both kind of enjoyed about this, so Jen clearly is really obsessed with this, so if Jen, if you could give us a reasonably length basic rundown of this film without giving everything away and without going on for 400 hours please do so <laughs> yes i think i can do that so this is the story of jeronicus jangle an inventor toy maker and owner of a toy store called jangles and things unfortunately uh and he's very happy and very successful until his erstwhile apprentice who is inevitably played by Keenan-Michael Key, steals a super magical toy, who happens to be voiced by Ricky Martin, and all of his plans for his toys. And this crushes Jeronicus. And he is thereafter incapable of believing in himself, believing in his abilities. And he basically loses everything, including his wife, who passes away. Utterly broken, he inevitably loses his daughter as well because he essentially drives her away. So something like 20 years later, we fast forward to now he just owns a pawn shop. Like we said, he's just kind of this rundown husk of a man who is in danger of losing his last pieces of himself, which is his store jangles and things. Unless he comes up with something... What's the word? Spectacular? Revolutionary. Many many big words. The bank desires. Many big words. Yes. (laughs) At the same time, his granddaughter, whom he has never met before, is sent to stay a couple of days with him. And in the process of her visiting him and him giving up, a little bit of magic is found. It is a wonderful, beautiful journey. And I loved it. So I'm going to stop there with the plot summary because I think a lot of it is kind of spoilery. I don't want to spoil anything. Really quick, I do want to say that essentially every good Christmas movie is about finding magic when you don't think there's any left. And to that end, Jingle Jangle succeeds wonderfully. So... Now we're going to go into spoilers. Well, no, we got to do general reactions first, which apparently you've just given oh, us. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that actually, perfect. So that that's the beginning of my reaction. Sorry, I forgot. <laughs> it's been a while. So, yeah, it it does that. It's not only a perfect Christmas movie, but it does something really amazing in that it is a completely black cast, almost, and production team but this is not one of those movies that white people should be like oh that's just a black christmas movie because it's just a christmas movie 
But at the same time, it is a very black movie. So it's a really interesting space, I think. And one of my reactions, uh, one of the things I said on Twitter was that this is probably the most important Christmas movie I've seen ever because of how successfully it does that in being a brilliant Christmas movie and also a completely black movie, but also in a completely universal way. And which is not to say that other black films are not universal. Obviously they are, but this is not one that is sort of the pigeonhole of on a broader stage of that's a black movie for black people, uh, which so often happens in terms of sort of the cultural conversation about movies versus the actuality of what a movie does. And I think that's one of the areas that this film is so important. But obviously, again, like I said, this is a very universal film. So if you are white and racist, please uh stay away from this movie well let's let's put something out there very clearly if you're white and what? racist you're already not gonna like this movie no matter what it's about no, no, right exactly <laughs> so, right I, I, if you're white and racist you're not gonna watch this i feel so like that's... what you mean to say is it they're, they're sort of like there aren't just two classifications of racist but there's like the very overt like i don't like black people racist who probably right. says the n-word and other kinds of horrible things and those are the people they're going to watch not want to watch this because it's got black people in it right and then there's the kind of person that is maybe doesn't know or doesn't fully cognizant of their racism but exhibits those behaviors and may want to reject this on the grounds of you know, it's playing with identity politics right. or some other argument therein. And it seems like you're combating that second form. And in general, sort of, yes, that second form, but I think there's that third form, that there's even a lower level of racism. And this is the one that is, unfortunately, truly pervasive, is the type of racism that says that has a black cast it must be a black movie and therefore is only for black people got it i get what you mean yeah this this third category that believes for whatever reason that films that are not directed towards their particular group whatever that group happens to be that those films therefore are not for them right and obviously there was a there was an article that said in the same way that something like Home Alone is not actually a white Christmas story, because it literally could be told with any ethnicity ever. Most, mostly, you could have the main character, Kevin, could be theoretically any anybody, because it, it isn't rooted, it is rooted in the sense that he is of an upper social class, but it's not necessarily the story of Home Alone's not rooted in the racial dynamics of American society. Right, exactly. And therefore... Again, we consider it universal, or at least white people consider it universal, and it sort of is because, as we just mentioned, any ethnicity could play Kevin and the family could be of any ethnicity. It is not a white, quote-unquote, white Christmas story. Like, it's definitely not my story. Like, I, that family be cray. Who has seven children? I mean, well, just remember, seriously. this is the same film in which they, the second film that follows it, that they, those parents still get to keep their children after right. they lose him a second time. <laughs> right, exactly. So that That's very good point. It's actually the best part of Home Alone 2, I just want to note, when they have to explain <laughs> to the police officer 
that this has happened a previous time. And they joke, they joke, but we never lose our luggage. Right. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> but, like, most Christmas movies are not specifically white Christmas movies. And yet, black people have never been able to play prominent roles in the movies that Hollywood considers more universal and not niche. And I think that's where Jingle Jangle becomes extra important. Also, it's just a damn good Christmas movie. Like, there is a lot of magic in this. And I love... Literally. Yeah, don't go in thinking that when I say science and technology. <laughs> oh, no, it's not science or <laughs> at all. I mean, there's a little bit, but it's mixed with magic. And that's extra awesome to me. I love it. Ugh. No, I love the idea that intelligence can be magical, like in the sense that it's awesome and inspiring and beautiful. That part is really, really amazing. And I'll explain a little bit of that after the spoiler wall. Well, okay. So before we get into spoiler wall, I guess I have to tell you what I think about the movie because Jen just went on like a 47 minute rant. Thanks, Jen. You're welcome. So I'm a little bit less enthused about this film. There are a lot of things that I, I, I really enjoyed about this movie. I think from a visual perspective, this is one of the most spectacular films that you probably will ever see of any kind, Christmas movie or otherwise. Uh, the costumes are just, I, honestly, I would just like to have all these in my closet for me to wear because the the clothing, I mean, not literally every character because I don't want to dress as everyone in this. I don't want to be the evil guy. But the the shocking uh, amount of I'm like, sorry, but his cane He does look amazing. really good though. He, he looks look so good. good. They, they really went all out with the costuming and- Oh my God, it's amazing. The costuming is really, I think visually, the costuming, the shot locations, the sets, when they go into the lab at one point, the, the big- it's not a lab. It's a it's a production facility, as it were. We won't say anything more. Uh, just the design of the sets is pretty extraordinary. Uh, the visual effects are overwhelmingly really quite good. Uh, the the like little matador figure that appears in this is I, the animation is shockingly good. In fact, and there are these sequences that exist between where we have more of that kind of similar animation style. It's almost like stop motion kind of, but not quite. And it's all really quite good in fact i i wanted more of that stuff because i just thought that a lot of that was just visually very exciting and fun to play with that said i didn't buy into the story nearly as much as i think a lot of other people did because there were aspects that just didn't make a lot of sense to me and it was hard for me to overlook like some of the songs that are sung are referring to things that we don't even see on screen in any capacity like the very first song in this entire piece, he's talking about all of his struggles, and yet everything we're shown visually is him having a very successful business full of flashy and exciting toys and everybody respecting and loving him. And yet this song is about how all his struggles are going to go away. And so it's to me, there were moments where it felt like some of the music did not necessarily fit with the story we're shown. And I felt that at times the film was just a little bit too long. Uh, in fact, the first time I thought the film was going to end was actually the second time we get like a really big banger song, which is the sort of like second to last tune with um, uh, Forrest Whitaker and Jessica. Yeah. So like, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I don't like this movie, but I, for me, I just, there were parts of this where I just, it did not work for me. And that made me a little sad because visually it is just really, 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 really good. 
from a visual perspective. I mean, the, the, the best number, in my opinion, is the Keegan Michael Key piece in this, his villain song. And that song, in my opinion, is the one that probably should be should be sung more because it's a really good, fun tune to sing. That like ultimately, I think what my issue with this film is it wanted to be two things and it didn't do both of them to the the degree that I thought that it should. It wanted to be a musical with really exceptional dance numbers. That I think it did really, 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 really well. Uh, but then it also wanted to have like this very well done, heartwarming story about family and, and magic and believing. But all of those things, not all of them come together for me. It's just a minor difference of opinion is really what this comes down to. You adored this film in ways that I don't think that I did, but I don't hate this film. It's just kind of, it's okay for me. No comment! But anyway, I guess that's time for spoiler wall. <laughs> spoiler wall. Wow, that that is this. Is that is the spoiler wall broken? Oh yeah, no, it's been broken for a while, Jen. Twenty twenty okay, has enough. taken. We haven't had time to get it, uh, you know, fixed because all of the spoiler wall companies have been out of business. So. Gotcha. Okay, yeah. so now the spoiler wall is up, why don't we talk about some specifics? Okay. I would like to talk about, well, as I mentioned before, this is a very black film. And I apologize, it is not entirely a black production. No. My bad. But it's it's close enough. It's overwhelmingly a black production. There are exactly. a handful of characters who are not black. Most of them are not named. In fact... Most of the white characters you'll see in this are either members of the dance crews that are in it, or yeah. there is a sequence in this in which members of a town were actually used as extras. And given that it was a town in the United Kingdom, overwhelmingly was a white section of that town. So uh, so there are white people in it. Uh, I don't think that the film makes it out to be like, this is only a film where only black people are allowed, which I think goes oh, to no, your, no, no, your no, previous... No. Uh, problem with certain individuals i think that the people that are just the dialogue figures in this are primarily black characters with the exception of the uh don juan diego which is the the matador figurine character and then hugh bonville is dr delacroix who is the banker yeah and he's adorable he is pretty cute yeah i i just like hugh bonneville he's just he's an adorable <laughs> human being yes but my point uh that i was getting to is the fact that it still has a very black aesthetic in that it has roots in African culture and African like fabrics and, and dance natural styles. hair. Oh, the hairstyles and and dance styles. One in one song very specifically, which we actually um, got to talk about a little bit before the podcast started, and that one is the song "Grandpa Mounier," which is based on a uh, Ga- Ghanaian original song called Asu by Bisa Kade and Mick Flames. Yep. It's adorable sequence and it occurs after Forrest Whitaker, Forrest Whitaker has there's a series of songs and a series of events that lead up to Forrest Whitaker maybe getting a little bit of his magic back. And that sequence when he sings that is one of the most powerful in the movie in my opinion. I cried my heart out personally mm. twice during his song and then during his song with his daughter in uh, Make It Work, which is a beautiful, a beautiful change. dance sequence as well. Uh, and and their time together when they're they're coming back together after something like, you know, 20 years and healing their rela- relationship. And they're doing that oh, while literally fixing a toy. 
uh, and it's really nice. But there's also an interesting element there with the fact that all of the dancers in that sequence, it takes place at night, in the middle of the night. So all of the dancers are dressed as chimney sweeps and, you know, cleaning staff and a couple of police officers. So it's like this night crew, right, of the life of a town at night. And it's really interesting that they actually took that into account, like that there are people who, after the day is done, are still working. Back to the Bisegre and McFlame song, Grandpa Meunier, which I believe, if I translated correctly, means this is my grandpa. And it takes place in this moment where Journey, who is Jeronicus's granddaughter, throws a snowball at her grandfather. And it turns into an entire town snowball fight, which is wonderful. But during that, you get this wonderful Ghanaian song. It's a remix of the song called Asu, which is a fun song. You should go watch video, listen to it anyway, about dancing. And so it borrows from, I believe, a traditional Ghanaian dance. I'm not sure which one, not an expert. While these kids are getting ready to have the snowball fight between Journey and Jeronicus. And it's just precious. Meanwhile, as I said, the hair for once, like, I believe all of the hair of particularly the black women is natural hair in these amazing styles. And I was super jealous of all of their like hair bobbles and hair clips. And I want them because again, like Sean mentioned during his review, the costume design is amazing. There are so many little details to it. And I loved the fact that it's combining sort of a Victorian aesthetic, but then taking from African aesthetics in terms of the fabric choices. So you have these amazing brightly colored fabrics and lots of different patterns combining with that Victorian sort of styling. And it's just amazing looking. Journey sweaters, oh my god, with the ruffles at the shoulders. I just need like 10 of them is all I'm saying. So there again, you have more of the African aesthetic. Uh, and it's just, it's just in like minor details throughout what is happening in the movie in this really kind of amazing way that I don't think most American audiences will necessarily recognize. But the fact that they're there in this very mainstream Christmas movie, I think was super cool. Yeah, I would say that a lot of the there are a lot of like interesting background details that are rooted in black and African cultures that right. I think most audiences just in general are not not going to catch. So like one of the big things, and this is something I, I did not fully catch until I, I saw the trivia about it, but apparently a lot of the buildings in the town are named after black inventors. And that's a detail that uh, you need to go back in. I think historians who, like, know that history are probably going to catch some of that. But, like, everyday right. people are probably not. They're, like, little Easter eggs that aren't necessarily important to the story, but are fun little bits that you can kind of get from a rewatch. And I think a lot of this film, for people who maybe are going through learning a lot, a lot of different cultural elements, like, you know, black dance culture, there is some uh, black fraternity stepping in some yes. of the dance sequences, which I saw because I have seen a uh, road trip, which has 
black stepping in it. I'm not suggesting Road Trip is necessarily a great film, uh, but uh, you know there, there are some things that I noticed in terms of the dancing styles, and there were some things that I just I'm sure I went right over my head because I don't know about them. You know, visually they they really tried to think about like what we were trying to incorporate so that it it tried to feel like it was part of the world, but also was bringing in these elements from the real world to sort of create a certain authentic experience, and. I think overall it does this very well. From a visual perspective, I would say that this film, if you have only one reason to watch this, watch it visually. Because it is shocking the amount of just amazing detail that is in just the dance numbers, the the songs, the, the visual presentation of the town, the costuming, all of that. There's so much detail there. It's rich. It is really rich and thick with this stuff. And so there's a lot of rewatch potential just from the visual perspective alone. And obviously, if you are like Jen and you connect with the characters, I mean, you'll probably get a lot from an emotional perspective in connecting with their stories, etc. And then these things will just end up being nice additions. But like, you know, the African, um, excuse me, the, the sort of uh, uh, Ghanaian uh, music styling, some of the, the interesting stuff that they were doing with the, the musical pieces where I think that they were very much drawing on some historical uh, song practices. There was... There were some moments in here where I thought that they were really going back. Uh, it was making me think of Ring Shout when we talked to P. Jelly Clark and he was talking about talking about the shouts and uh, the, the, the ring shouts. I'm not suggesting that they were pulling from that, but I, it made me think that they were going back, you know, 70, 80, 90 years to some of like those old blues tunes for some of this music. And it has to have been there. And I just don't know what the connections are yet. There's just a lot that's here is really what I'm getting at. And it's it's lovely in that respect. Yeah, and I think what was really interesting is how well things worked together. So all of those design elements, uh, the the costumes, like the the buildings, like the entire design of the square, the design of his shop, all of it played a really amazing role together with the choreography very specifically. It was choreographed by Ashley Wallen, who also did the greatest showman yep. and you can see that like i haven't i i haven't even watched the greatest showman yet because i i know i'm gonna have lots of feels about it the little pieces i have seen of the dance sequences are incredible and so ashley wallen just did a phenomenal job with this and working with the costumes like that opening scene of uh, the very first song so it's this day just sung by Justin Cornwell and Sharon Rose, who are the original Geronicus and his wife. And then it's the rest of like the town and all of his customers and everything. There's this incredible dance sequence. And some of it is t uh, filmed from the top. And when that happens, the spin of the dresses. And there's just this incredible slow motion moment that I thought was one of the best shots of dance choreography I've ever seen because it highlights those dresses and those dresses are amazing. It reminds me, the dresses specifically remind me of the Mexican folklorico dances with those wide dresses that they hold up and when they spin, it's just the most magical and amazing thing that you've ever seen. And that's literally what they're designed to do. That's what these felt like, which was amazing because the top, it's, it's the underskirts are just so flashy and wonderful. Like they're things that are kind of muted almost, but 
muted for this movie is not actually that muted. Uh, so, like, because it's, it's the Victorian styling, right? Which is almost stodgy. And yet this movie turns it into something glorious. Flamboyant, you know, a lot of ways. Buoyant? Did you say buoyant? I said flamboyant. It, flamboyant. It sort of almost makes oh, them yeah. flamboyant. I mean, it just, it, it, you're talking about this first sequence, but the the uh, Magical Mr. G sequence with oh, yeah. um, uh, Kenny Michael Key, right? Which is, uh, it. he's in like a bright green, like lime green almost suit with some dark greens with a hat and all of this. And he gets a cape at one point. And there's just so much fanfare in, in the visual presentation. And everyone's wearing like very classical style dresses and suits and then they're doing all these elaborate dance numbers and i think the film does that like at all stages like the stylistic choices are very bright and you know flamboyant might be a word that one would use they're 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 exciting and vibrant uh there there are moments when there is darkness presented but it's it it's always feels like this film like at any moment could f- turn on a dime and take the darkness away and just make something beautiful and bright and exciting. Uh it never feels that that the darkness is always permanent. Yeah. I think it was really interesting too that as you're saying the darkness comes in. Well, that happens literally right after Gustafsson. Gustafsson steals the toy and the plans. And the plans, right? It goes dark. Everything goes dark for Geronicus and and eventually becomes dingy and dusty looking. And the only thing that brings some sort of magic back into that, there's a couple things that bring magic back into that world. And but it, it feels like an intrusion. And that is Edison, Edison Latimer, which is the best name in the world, and Miss Johnston, who is a postal lady, and she's adorable, and I love her. And then eventually Journey, they bring a little bit of that light back in. Uh, Miss Johnston literally comes with a dance team, which is amazing. Yeah, she has her own backup singers and dancers. Backup singers and dancers. And and just to be clear, the film comments on this explicitly. Forrest Whitaker's character, Geronicus, literally goes, oh, they are like backup backup singers. Oh, they are a group. Yeah, it's amazing. And... (laughs) I wanted and, honestly more of that fourth wall breaking. Yes, I really did. It was it was very nice. And then, but within that darkness, you have the the garishness of Magic Man G, which is the Keegan Michael Key song when he presents. That's his right. His toy. Name is Magic Man G. I keep saying Magical Mister G because I'm thinking That's cats. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a great song. Although to be honest, if he did cats, if they remade cats and he was in it, I would not oh, complain. Oh yeah, I mean. Except that cats should never be remade again. No, I agree. I agree. Uh, but he does do a fantastic job. I did not know that Keegan-Michael Key was a singer or a dancer. And yet here we are. And he was fantastic. But he brings that kind of garish brightness to the world. And it's not until the end of Make It Work and the beginning of the reprise this day that you get all of the brightness back in. Uh, there's a little bit, though, when... Uh, Journey sings Not the Only One, which, by the way, is... Is it Not the Only One? No, sorry. The Square Root of Possible, which is probably, to like, the most amazing sort of on-message song of the movie. Square Root of Possible is basically... Maybe it's possible that the square root of possible is me, I think, is the lyric. Yeah. And it's 
Madeline Mills, Journey, singing this, like saying she's the magical one. And I loved that. And there's some of that brightness in her because of how she sees math. And it's one of the really cool things about how uh, they're portraying science here and math in that these are two characters who are clearly brilliant, Journey and Jeronicus, right? They are brilliant in terms of their mathematics and their inventing capabilities. And Sean, of course, would argue that most of that is just magic and not real math, which it is. But they visually see it. They can, you know, they basically paint their magic across the sky. Unfortunately, one of the things that Jeronicus loses is that magic, right? And so that was just really gorgeous when... Every time that Journey starts solving a problem, you get these magical wisps of, like, sparkling, and I loved it. And it's not until later that, obviously, Jeronicus gets his back in a spectacular sequence that is... So, yeah, it's it, it was interesting how that played out in the styling of the film. It was super cool. And I have to stop talking at some point, but I, can I just say, I, I want to ask you... Because you mentioned that you noticed some callbacks. So, what callbacks from this movie did you specifically notice? Because I have a couple, for sure. 100% Muppet Christmas Carol. There's bits of that in this. Yep. Absolutely. Probably some Willy Wonka. Mm-hmm. Would mm-hmm. be fair to say. Uh, there is, at one point, an almost E.T. callback. Oh, I was going to say Johnny Five. Well, there's both. I would say that, but uh, there is a moment when the music becomes almost E.T. In fact, yeah. there's some bits in the music in which I think the composer was pulling from a number of John Williams scores because my brother heard Harry Potter all over the place, but I heard Jurassic Park everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. But yeah, I was yeah. I was I was definitely going to say E.T. And like I said, short, short circuit is massively there. Yeah, especially with um, uh, Buddy three thousand. Buddy three thousand. Buddy three. Th- yeah, Buddy three thousand looks like Johnny Five. He's like Johnny Five mixed with like another body, <laughs> like because the head, the head is the Johnny Five. Yeah, and 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 some of the text, like or what B- Buddy actually says, was a very Johnny Five. I I just needed someone to believe, and you're like, wait, is that is that from Short Circuit or is that from ET? I can't. I don't know which. Yeah, I think this film makes... This is one of the things that it has received criticism for is that its story seems to take a lot of pieces from lots of other stories that people are familiar with. For some, they would argue that just too, too much of that. I don't necessarily... That's not necessarily my criticism of the film. I don't think necessarily hearkening back to lots of other things, given that this film is very self-referential in general, is not inherently a problem. No. For me, my, most of my criticism comes with the, the story and its progression. And for me, th- there being missing components to make story elements make sense. And that I found very frustrating when I was watching, uh, especially for a film that's two hours, roughly two hours long. And it was missing components that I thought were necessary for things to cohere. And the most obvious one is with the opening song where they're talking about struggle and strife, but there's there's no hint of any struggle or strife anywhere on screen. In fact, from the beginning, it looks like everything's great. One would think, yeah. 
Yeah, so to me, it was like, well, you're singing about something that we're not being shown. It was almost as if they cut a sequence. I'm like 99% certain that they must have cut a very short piece somehow. Because it's one of those things that, why wasn't Hugh Bonneville there in the beginning? Right. Why wasn't that the concern? Why wasn't this the original thing? Right. Of, like when the first time the because the bank is part is like a loose sort of thing, which is that uh, Jing- Jingle and things is going to basically get possessed by the bank because Geronicus has not delivered this revolutionary idea. And this turns out to be Buddy 3000. But maybe that was the beginning as well as he his first thing was the Matador. Yeah. But but I guess you can't really do that because then the question is, well, then why does the bank give him all this extra time when he didn't deliver the matador? Uh, we just we need a sequence to say that there is concern on the horizon. Like, yeah, everything seems fine on the on the surface, but underneath, like maybe financially, things are not going as well as you want. Yeah, he's a brilliant inventor, but people aren't buying his stuff as much as he wants. And so that would then be a nice contrast to the uh, uh, Mr. Ma- Magic. Sorry, I can never remember damn name because I just want to Mr. Mistopheles. I just want to say that every time. <laughs> Gustafson, aka the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, yeah, uh, G- Gustafson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'll call him Gustafson, right? It would be a nice contrast to Gustafson, who does get successfully steals everything, but he becomes enormously, wildly successful. Right, selling all this stuff in droves. Uh, there's even this great line that he says that both my brother and I laughed a lot at, which is like when the guy asks him, what do you want to do with the Buddy 3000 because it didn't work out? And his response is, you know, what we always do with, you know, like busted designs. And the guy says, retail? No. And he means to yeah. burn it. <laughs> to me, they're like, there are just these moments throughout the film where there's missing connective tissue. Yeah, there and was. And it makes me sad because the songs... You know, they're referencing lots of things that aren't presented to us in some case. Not all the songs do this, but some of the songs reference things that are just not presented. Yeah, and I think I think it's really that first song. Like, I didn't really get that from the other ones, but that first song definitely did that. And like I said, I think with that one little piece where if you had Hugh Bonneville come in and say something like, you promised us something, you know, you borrowed a lot of money, I hope you're working on it. Because you see Geronicus's excitement over, like, the whole song is about his excitement and how everything is going to change because he's finally gotten this one piece of this magical toy he's inventing. And apparently they've been struggling, right? Like, as you say. But none of that is there in the dialogue, unfortunately. It's just not there. And and I would say that the film does this in, in different ways at various points. So when it jumps ahead, for example, and we have now old, old Geronicus, who's, you know, dejected and depressed. And, you know, he's turned his store of magical inventions into a pawn shop. And he's combating the advances of Ms. Ms. Johnston, um, <laughs> who's very aggressive. Uh, we'll talk about that in a hot minute. Um, you're right. He, all we have this this shift, and we understand the shift because we're shown right. All his stuff is stolen, and I kind of get it. Like he's he's depressed from all this stuff. But then we sort of like the the story of how he loses his relationship with his daughter. Like he loses his wife. We see that, and then something happens with his daughter, and then all of a sudden his granddaughter shows up again. And there's like some letters exchanged, but it just sort of happens suddenly and we don't yet in the story really have a connection to this character or why she's important other than she is the granddaughter 
of the main character, or the, at least she's technically the main character at this point, but like the granddaughter of formerly the main character, Geronicus. And so then she sings this, this song about how her, she's, you know, the square root of possible and all of this stuff. To me, it didn't feel anchored to anything because we didn't have that connection yet in the story to understand why her infectious joy and curiosity and creativity was ultimately going to matter to the story we get it eventually but to me like a lot of times in this story things didn't feel anchored like later on we get make it work absolutely awesome song what probably my second favorite song in the entire piece beautiful but yeah. the daughter shows up like all she's just suddenly leaving her house to go talk to her grand granddad why when did this come is there a letter sent? like there's nothing to anchor it it just is like all of a sudden she's coming no 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 you apparently just missed entire sections of the film and you need to go rewatch it because there's nothing anchoring these things because one this it's in the story she's telling and for those who have watched haven't watched she's reading from this book that's actually like a pop-up book but it's works steampunkish. it's like a steampunky robot book yeah it's super freaking cool it talks about it during the story that she tells because she covers that like gap of time between uh when he loses all hope and when we finally meet him in the future right when we go yeah. back to him flash forward so their relationship breaking is explained there yeah, it's not, that's not enough for me. It's forgettable. It was literally Lair! It's not shown. It just tells us that this thing happened and then we move on. And then the resolution to it comes later with Make It Work when she shows up. Ugh, anyway. Secondly, uh, the reason Journey there is also explained. And the reason her mom is coming back. Yeah, there's a letter. There's letters being sent around or whatever. And then she just shows up. Her mom puts her in a in a in a apparently a stage, in a coach, stage coach or whatever, and, she gets there and then and then sends her on her way. And she tells Geronicus she's going to pick me up Christmas morning. Yeah, none of it makes any sense to me. None of it makes any Ugh. sense. Oh my god! You send your granddaughter to a man you haven't seen for twenty something years. It's her father, and she still loves him, and she explains that to us. Yeah, I don't buy it. None of it makes sense to me at all. Okay. Okay, fine. You know what? Yeah, you're just a Mr. Humbug. No, I'm not just a Mr. Humbug. Go fuck yourself. That's, that's <laughs> fucked up. No, to me, to me, the, what the story wants to be is it wants to be this really vibrant musical with great dance numbers, but it also wants to be this very deep, important story about belief and family and believing in one another and those kinds of themes, which are perfect Christmassy themes, you know, holiday movie yep. themes. But it develops, it spends way more time and energy on its music and dance numbers and visuals than it does on the story. And that, to me, I find unfortunate because I think this story could have, for me, a lot more power than it actually does. And I got I got that story from the music, so... Yeah, it, it, we just it, it works on us in completely different ways. It the music yeah. does not work on me the way that it does on you. Weird. It feels completely detached from the story in almost all cases, with the exception of Magic Man G, which is a villain song and makes the most sense of most of the songs in this because it, it basically fits his character. It tells you exactly what kind of character he is. But we know that because we saw him before. So also, why is the Matador evil? Oh, he's not evil. He's just full of himself conniving and full of himself and no, he's literally just full of himself like that's no he's conniving and evil he's manipulative yeah he's not but just only... full of himself <laughs> in 
in pursuit of himself. He's like the most selfish bastard ever. And it's basically because he wakes up to having basically a soul and an identity and being a person and is told that he's going to be replicated a thousand times. Yeah, I get what his his initial concern is. I find it amusing that this the resolution to this story is at the end he relinquishes, I'm putting quotation marks, he relinquishes himself after Gustafsson gets caught in a lie because... Uh, journey basically tricks him which is nice very clever yeah uh, i like her for that she's a very cute character uh right and so so the matador basically gives himself up diego gives himself up and says oh i'm going back to you and basically what geronica says is i'll reprogram him and like my first thought is oh my god this is all horrifying this is a sentient being that you're going to destroy by taking his soul out on one hand i was like ha serves him right on the other hand i was like that is really awful i think that was probably one of my biggest problems because in one sense this is a story of like like shop local handmade versus big business and yet the inevitable conclusion is that they become that big business (laughs) so it's like and like mass produce the poor matador who yeah was kind of a jerk but rude he just yeah he just wanted to protect himself and his singularity. That was probably like my, mm, that makes me a little bit sad about everything. <laughs> it's one of those things where I think the film wants it to be funny and cute yes, and silly. Yes. But then when you think about the implications of it, it's like, uh, this, is, this is a little messed up. Like, yeah, yeah. And I apologize. I have taken up so much of the time of this podcast. Is yeah, there I know. anything it's else fine. you wanted to talk about? Honestly, anything I say, you're just going to scream at me and tell me about how much you hate me and hope I die in a fire, which is what you do on your Christmas cards anyway, so... Okay, in in my defense... (laughs) (laughs) Jen's an asshole on Christmas, just to be clear. Yeah. I once got got a whole box of coal delivered to my house by Jen. That's true. Because it's not my fault that you're kind of a Scrooge. I'm not a Scrooge. Scrooge! Shut up. I'm not a Scrooge. (laughs) I didn't hate this film. I just, if I were to give my final thoughts on this, it's that I just, I came into it with, I guess, certain expectations of what I was getting. And what I got didn't quite meet what I was hoping for. The things that I really wanted, some of them I got which is the sort of extravagant costuming and the visual spectacle of it, which is mm-hmm. here in spades. It is it is all over this film. And I think regardless of what my grade ultimately is going to be, you should watch this film if only just for the, the music and the visual spectacle because it is, I would argue, probably some of the best holiday-themed visual spectacle probably ever made. And and I don't say that lightly because I love the Muppet Christmas Carol probably is is like one of my top five Christmas movies of all time. And yet this film just really rocks it in the park. But I guess for me, the problem was that I just didn't feel to me that enough time and energy was put into the non-music and musical dancing and that stuff that was there to sort of anchor those things into the story. And I wanted those things to feel like they were all cohesive with each other and were developed to the same level. And to me, it did not come across that way. And I found that a little bit frustrating given that it's a two-hour film that leaves, for me, certain questions unanswered that it needed to directly address. And while you did not have that experience, 
that is was my experience and it doesn't make me a scrooge it just means that the things i liked i liked some of the same things you liked and the things i didn't like were things that you liked just for different reasons yeah because i liked almost everything i know you love this film and i think it's going to be reflected in your grade i i did so what's your grade i gotta be honest it's fine i i don't think it's great i think it's fine i think it's fun and that's kind of about where I would, would stick it. So I would give it a B minus. Jen's going to give it an A plus. So it's fine. It's going to even out. I am not out. giving it an A plus. Thank <laughs> Shut you up. very much. You're giving it your, your attitude this whole podcast. No matter what yet, you could put an F minus and it still automatically gravitates to an A plus just based <laughs> on your attitude alone. Based on my enthusiasm. Right. I am going I am going to give it an A. That's true. Uh, I I do understand some of your concerns. Well, okay. I I see some of your concerns, and then I think some of your concerns are predicated on the fact that you are just way too picky. I am, and that's fine. I watch a lot of movies, Jen. (laughs) You do watch a lot of movies. That's true. So, my final thoughts. Uh, First, I would really, really, really love to see a stage version of this. With puppets. Like, so much. Because I think it is a perfect Broadway production musical. Genuinely perfect. Given a couple of considerations to tie things together a little bit better, as we previously mentioned. Also, the singing in this was amazing. The dancing in this was amazing. The set design, costume design, hair design just general like look and feel of this movie was definitely a plus uh like that honestly cannot be beat this is definitely making it into my christmas rotation which thus far includes white christmas klaus and this one interesting i basically just watch white christmas over and over again because it's my favorite uh but klaus when we watch that that is (laughs) It's an amazing movie. We are and... we are so different. It's wild. If you just think about what I watch every Christmas, it's so stark different from you. <laughs> what do you watch every Christmas? Uh, my my staples for Christmas are Home Alone, Christmas Story, probably Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, the claymation one. Okay, well that's that's just a given. I actually own that movie along with the so other ones. Like, but anyway, uh, you like comedy. I like magic. Uh, I hate all of those movies. Um, <laughs> wow. So, like, I, I physically cannot stand A Christmas Story. I think it's awful, and it basically is about white mediocrity and dysfunction. Uh, Home Alone. Yeah, look, I'm just going to be totally honest. I, I did not mention these so that you could criticize my movie choices. I just mentioned them because you asked as a contrast. <laughs> I'm not going to change my movie choice. Uh, decisions on the basis okay. of you not appreciating what I watch. No, no, I don't think you should. I, I'm, I'm just explaining that, like, yes, that does show a huge stark difference between us and our opinions of Christmas movies and what we're looking for. And that's fine. Uh, you're, it's, it's fine. It's fine. But I like magical I know. Christmas movies because that's what I'm looking for in the holiday season. So... I want to see, like I said, to me, good Christmas movies find magic, are about finding magic when the characters, most of the characters, main characters, think it's lost. And I think that's what 
kind of ties all of sure. my favorites together. Uh, and it's what I look for in new ones and good ones. So, yes, I am going to give it an A because there, it's not perfect, but it's pretty damn close in my book. All right. Fair enough, Jen. It's still, it's fine. Anyway, the point is, uh, uh, I just letting, I'm just going to move on from this now. <laughs> Jen, where can folks find you? Uh, you can find me at Lou on Twitter. I am a private account, so you do have to request following me. And if you suck, I will not let you. But you probably don't because you listen to the Skiffy and Fanty show. You can also find me at Instagram these days. That's actually primarily where I'm spending my time. And again, I am at Lou over there. Awesome. I don't understand Instagram, so I don't have one of those really. I technically do. Uh, but as for me, you can find me at Sean Duke or uh, SeanDuke.net if you want to go to my website. Or you can find me at Patreon.com slash TheJoyFactor if you want to follow me on that nonsense journey full of joy, uh, especially this holiday season. And as for the Skiffy and Fanty show at Skiffy and Fanty, please leave us reviews on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it, especially if that would be your present to us. If you were the present giving mood, that would be lovely. Uh, Skiffyandfanty.com for all our things, including our newsletter and other stuff. The website just got updated, so please take a look and enjoy. And uh, we do have an Instagram at Skiffy and Fanty and a Facebook, which you can find Skiffy and Fanty. Mm-hmm. So. And I just want to mention that our patrons should be expecting some uh, presents coming soon. Yeah. So happy holidays is really what this is about. Yeah. (laughs) Happiest of holidays, everyone. And may 2020 end swiftly. Well, we still got a little bit of time because we got at least one more podcast to record for this year. So you can still do that. But if this is the last one you listen to this year, may 2020 end quickly and as painlessly as possible. Although given the nightmare zone that we are living in in the United States, probably not. So enjoy your your holiday as best you can. Zoom only, people. Zoom only. For the love of God, please don't go hang out with your family on Christmas or whatever holiday you happen to celebrate. Please don't do it. Just don't Don't do it. it. Please save grandma. It's okay. It's really weird to live at a time when I care about other people's grandparents more than they do. I, it is very strange. I don't even know your grandparents. You're listening to this now. I've never met your grandparents. I know nothing about them. I don't even know if you have grandparents. And I still care a bit more about them than most people in this country do. Yeah. I'm, all of my grandparents are dead. I love them dearly, but they are dead. And so instead, I'm going to care about all of your grandparents for you. I miss my grandma. Yeah, I miss mine too. God damn it. Now I'm sad. And on that happy note... Awkward ending and scene. Bye. If you would like to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash skiffyandfanty. You can also find us on our website, skiffyandfanty.com, and on Twitter at skiffyandfanty. If you'd like to send us an email, you can do so at skiffyandfanty at gmail.com. The music for this episode comes from Sphere by Creo. You can find out more about their music at freemusicarchive.org.